It's easy to get pessimistic about politics. From the climate crisis to inequality and a heap of stuff in between, it's certainly the case that things aren't looking too great right now. Worse still, efforts to push political leaders to deal with some of these issues have tended to be at best ignored, if not outright suppressed. Over the past few years, the term doomerism has emerged as a way to describe a tendency among mostly younger people to simply step back and accept that things are just going to get worse forever. But what if that's bad? actually. What if, even among all the gloominess, there is a place and a need for positive thinking? Maybe even utopian thinking? In order to explore this need for utopias a little further, I rang up someone whose videos always leave me feeling a little bit more positive about the future of the world around us, Andrewism. Andrewism, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for setting aside some time to chat with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Glad to be here. How 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 are you? You having a good day so far? I know it's much earlier where it is where you are than it is for me. Uh, not too much earlier, but the the weather is really nice. You know, the sun is right there in the sky, unencumbered by the clouds, and just finished watering my plants, so I'm having a good day. Oh, I'm I'm very jealous. We have a very kind of British grey day today, uh, which is right. uh, after a nice weekend. So it's been nice, and now it's uh, awful. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but but well, which I suppose maybe sort of leads us on very well to the the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is kind of doomerism and utopianism uh, in contemporary politics, and I suppose specifically in online politics because that's maybe the spaces that a lot of people that engage with uh, both of our videos uh, possibly um, spend a lot of their time uh, and I suppose the reason I was really keen to uh, ask you if you'd be willing to to come on and chat to me was that your videos tend to deviate from from that sense of cynicism which I I often see as a bit of a norm and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that but that in that I've watched your videos for quite some time now. Maybe uh, I don't know how, how long have you been? How long have you been making videos? I began in in twenty twenty or so, mid twenty twenty. So, so a good 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 few years. I feel like I've maybe been watching them for uh, one two years maybe. But I always feel like I come away from your videos with a little bit of hope about the world around me. I'm is glad that, to hear that. That is, is the that intention. I was going to say, is, is that something that you really sit down and think about when you're dreaming up what you're going to make videos about and what you, uh, when you're writing them? Yeah, I think for me, um, so I began in 2020 and the sort of video essay weave um, and the sort of counter offensive to a lot of the right-wing stuff that was dominating the media in like 2015 2016 mm. um i had consumed a lot of that and i was um very much that that all that contents have helped me to move from um well at, at one point i was you know i had grown up in a sort of a religious environment and, and a conservative environment and so i kind of moved out of that um, in addition to other sources and stuff and uh, media and stuff that I've consumed and just general personal 
life stuff, work experience, that kind of thing. Uh, and so the content that I was consuming, the video essays and stuff, it was really helping me to uh, expand my understanding and my worldview and to shift my perspective further and further leftward um, mm. towards uh, ideas and perspectives that were more uh, cosmopolitan and more uh, in line with, um, I think, some of my internal values deep down were. Um, and so that content stuff was really helping me. But one thing I noticed about that content was that a lot of it was very much uh, focused on the issues and what the issues are and describing and explaining the issues. And that absolutely has its place because <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am today without those sorts of um, discussions and videos and topics. Um, but I felt like there was a missing piece in those discussions. Mm. Um, I didn't actually set out originally to become a YouTuber. What happened was that I was writing uh, for a personal blog and I decided that one of my blog posts uh, would be better formatted as a video. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. I didn't set out to like hey, that's interesting. change the game in that sense. I just realized <laughs> blogging is kind of like a dying medium and I wanted to try something different. Um, yeah. And so I realized like I kind of wanted to fill that gap um, and sort of be that sort of person that I feel like I needed when I was early on in my journey. Uh, someone who wasn't just like explaining the issues, but also talking about uh, how we can make an impact as individuals, as collectives and beyond. Yeah, I've been thinking as I've been doing a bit of prep for our chat, been thinking about like that's very much my tendency is to uh, try and explain the world as it exists at the moment, I guess, whether that's that I want to explain a particular institution that exists or explain a trend within contemporary politics or trait or explain a series of historical events that have somehow led us up to today my tendency is always to try and explain things as they are and then i always find conclusion sections for videos really hard to write because i suddenly feel like oh do i have to say something about how the world could be different and that suddenly brings you to a slightly more vulnerable place, I think. Uh, in fact, I was I was thinking back. I know you're a really big fan of David Graeber, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know he, he pop, pops up in, in a bunch of your videos in different um, contexts. And I was thinking back to there's a passage in Bullshit Jobs, probably towards the end, I would imagine, uh, in which he talks about uh, the ways in which he tends to avoid putting sort of policy proposals and stuff in his books because if you say i think in, in bullshit jobs he's specifically talking about ubi i think um universal basic income where he sort of suggests well i don't want to spend too much time talking about this because then if someone says well i don't agree with ubi then potentially they throw away the rest of his analysis as well and so right and so therefore he maybe av avoids trying to go do too much beyond going this is a thing that has happened or a thing that exists because then you do end up in that slightly more uh, vulnerable place i guess um which yeah i i, I definitely feel uh, a lot in 
th- th- it's much easier to say this thing exists and is flawed or is bad or is complicated uh, because it's often easy for lots of people to agree with you to say one thing is bad. Whereas as soon as you go, oh, but this is the specific thing we should do to uh, fix it, suddenly that opens you up to criti- to a slightly different kind of criticism, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's something that I've had to face, right? Um, well, I say face. I'll get into that another time. Um, in venturing into not just what is, but also what if, mm. I've definitely had to encounter uh, instances of people who just... I mean, there are lots of different reactions, but one of the many reactions is just flat out rejecting it. Like, no, because human nature, or no, because we're doomed, or no, because no, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think in coming up with those solutions, not just like describing the problem, there's definitely, an, uh, there's definitely that sort of thing that you were describing where you have to deal with people's rebuttals and in those rebuttals you have to wonder if they've just completely not absorbed everything else you know just completely rejected everything else yeah i've also i've as i was sitting down and and doing a little bit of uh, reading a few bits and watching a few bits in in prep for this i was i was trying to kind of map out sort of various different types or different aspects of our culture that i do think push us towards making a kind of doomerism a more palatable option i guess or at least an easier option because i don't know do you do you agree with me that that is a thing that that you that you see a lot i i definitely find on twitter at least there is a lot of it's easier to sort of throw sticks at things than it is to uh propose a oh yeah definitely um and it, it it is actually one of the primary reasons that I've disengaged from Twitter entirely. Mm. Um, you actually reached out to me on Twitter, and the only reason I saw it was because I had logged into, I think, um, like repost a video or something like that. Mm. Um, and that's how we ended up having this conversation. But I've really made the conscious decision to, I think, since March, to just literally log off. Because um, mm. I tried other things before, you know, just to be kind of addictive. Um, I tried getting one of those like website blockers, I deleted the app, but I would always find ways to get around those things. And it's only when I made that conscious decision to literally log off, I was able to move past it. And um, in logging off and having that distance, I realized the sort of cycles is easy to fall into when in that space. Mm. Um, the sort of all or nothing mentalities, the lack of nuance, the um, lack of... Uh, to borrow the phrase remembering the human um behind the screen there's something about the form of it i think of just if you've only got 140 characters or 280 whatever it is these days you it's much easier to write this thing is bad than it is to write your 12 theses on a better tomorrow (laughs) because you can't you literally don't have the space to offer that kind of nuance before you've written an incredibly long thread but also then i think that's become baked into the culture of the of exactly the as well and i think another um 
detrimental aspect of it is the way that, as you said, the culture um, is sort of shaped and then it shapes your engagement with it. And so you find, um, you find yourself uh, thinking in ways that you might not have otherwise, mm-hmm. if not for being on that side. And then also um, there's the whole component is sort of the dark side of the internet. The good side of the internet and the dark side of the internet are kind of the same thing, right? The good side is we can talk to anybody in the world. The bad side is anybody in the world could talk to us. <laughs> um, and so that sort of leads to a situation where you're being exposed accidentally, um, algorithmically to a lot of really harmful um, content. You're seeing constant conflict. You're seeing constant disagreement. You're seeing constant polarization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really makes it difficult for you to then go and interact with people, particularly for those who spend a lot of time on that side, to just to actually interact with people um, in reality and to deal with the good, bad, and ugly of real life. Um, a lot of it is just the bad and the ugly that you see on Twitter, but um, there's also good there um, out in the world. And I know it's really, it's actually a conversation I was having the other day. Um, and this is going to sound out of character for people who have seen my stuff, um, because I know I, I very intentionally put out a very particular uh, impression, right? Mm. Um but I was having a conversation the other day and I was talking about how there are so many things to mourn about the state of the world right now. And it's very easy to potentially fall into that sort of perpetual mourning. Um, I think it's something that we are all potentially vulnerable to succumbing to. You know, when you think about all the different things that are happening, all the things that are unaddressed, all the things that you're aware of, um, but I think that emboldens me to focus on, to pursue, to try to contribute to the efforts to make things better, to the good that is taking place in the world, mm-hmm. uh, to the transformations and changes that are happening in different pockets everywhere um, that I would like to see, to explore, and to highlight. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what you bring up there about actually the state of the world it makes sense to be uh pessimistic in 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 some regards right without without me suggesting that that is uh the thing to do um yeah we we face kind of ecological collapse and uh inequality is growing wider and wider and sort of in many ways of course it's easier to to fall into that trap i also i was also doing some thinking about the ways in which mainstream politics, um, and, and I don't know to, to what this, what extent this, this might also be mirrored uh, in Trinidad, um, but definitely in the UK, is that mainstream politics is sort of inherently pessimistic in terms of it's always we can't oh, yeah, definitely. do the thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the national, the, like the national debt is too high, and therefore we can't do we can't do X, we can't do Y. Um, you know, we know well, we should. Oh, yes, you'll actually have conversations about doing things that's so interesting <laughs> 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 now nah, but uh they, i think there is that sort of built-in component in mainstream politics here and abroad um this sort of sense of like pre-engineered apathy 
Mm. Like the way that it's structured, the way that it's set up, it's like the only way to stay like mentally stable is to like sort of check out. Because when you hear, oh, this drama and this party said this about this, the opposition party and the opposition party says this about the ruling party and this um, drama and this corruption scandal and this, that, and the other, um, it's just exhausting. I think for mm. everyday people who are like, wow, how am I going to feed my children today? It's, you know, like, what does this have to do with me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When when in inflation's at eleven percent, or, or as, as it's been in the UK recently, but the main news story is that um, yeah, someone lied about having a party at the wrong time, and and, <laughs> and, it, and it just sort of feels so minor in comparison to the the actual uh, issue. Or or uh, th- there's a coronation going on, so uh, exactly, about exactly going well. There's actually um. It was like a blip in news, um, but it was very, it was a very major discussion online, um, where it was kind of exposed exactly how much government ministers were making. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were getting like, in addition to a salary, they were getting um, a housing allowance. They were getting a food allowance. They were getting a transportation allowance. They were getting, um, I think, a healthcare allowance. They got a whole bunch of different allowances. Um, and on top of that, they also get like, they're exempt from paying certain taxes and tariffs and imports and stuff. They're exempt from certain um, like things when you're trying to get like bring in a vehicle or so on top of their existing exorbitant salaries, they also have all these additional expenses covered by these individual allowances. Um, and then they have the audacity to turn around and tell people, oh, well, tighten your belts, you know, we're in a recession, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, which itself can can then, I often think when there's something, when the, the kind of anger at the kind of political class can often, if it shuts people off from, in shutting people off from that particular kind of representative democ- uh, democracy in terms of going out and voting, can also shut people off from broader ways of, thinking about how the world can be different oh, definitely. as well. Because I think part of the way that these sort of representative and parliamentary democracies uh, are developed, you end up in a situation where people view any sort of political engagement through that narrow lens. Mm. So any solution, any, any sort of doing politics, any and everything has to go through that channel. You want to talk about, for example, um, establishing a community garden you talk about that with people and they'll be like oh okay so um who do we need to and this is a sort of exaggerated example who do you need to vote for to make this happen right um or they might say in a discussion about housing or about education there's like okay what what petition do we need to sign to get this policy into place it's not a matter of sort of recognizing their mm. power. What it's a recogni- do, yeah. it's sort of like we don't have any power, so let the people who rule over us make these decisions. Uh, and I think half the battle is getting people to recognize our own power to implement these changes and transformations for ourselves without waiting for these uh, authority figures to make those moves for us. Yeah, and I, I, 
I, I want to talk shortly a little bit about um, about some of the uh, sort of, uh, I guess, optimistic trends that that have begun to emerge, particularly around. I know you recently made a video about uh, solar punk and urban planning, um, and that's made so much sense to me in terms of uh, some of the more optimistic stuff that you talk about in terms of uh, your discussions of solar punk and how that fits in with a movement that I think is inherently, although although often I'm not sure everyone that is watching lots of not just bikes or city <laughs> uh, beautiful or unofficial video, like not everyone is necessarily th watching those videos and thinking I am doing politics, but it definitely is in a really big way. But but maybe maybe we'll come on to that to that shortly because I guess. I guess first we need to to to, to jump the gap between, uh, yeah. The, I think I think we've we've acknowledged that this aspect of, uh, I think do doomerism is the word that I've heard thrown around quite a lot, um, as a way of capturing this, oft sometimes dominant at least sense of uh, pessimism and cynicism that can exist around uh, politics, and I think. Uh, in in the UK and possibly in in America a little bit as well, some of that has been also been a a consequence of the end of the sort of Jeremy Corbyn Labour movement and the Bernie Sanders presidential uh, campaigns. In terms of there, there was for a brief time something for people that were on the left and looking for something really positive to work with uh, to jump on board with i guess and then yeah those movements have, have uh, come to an end and now uh people that were maybe being drawn to those are now without something to something positive to contribute to and that and almost uh it, there's a phrase in the uk that it's the hope that kills you i don't know if that mm. uh, if that translates over uh in internationally uh particularly something that i think football fans say a lot if you ever right. watch your football team uh come close to winning something uh, side note who do you back by the way uh so i i live in plymouth so generally plymouth argyle who are in who have just been promoted uh from the from league one to the championship which is just which is below the premiership Right, right. Now well, congrats to your team. Um, um, I'm I'm Manchester United all the way, but anyway, proceed. <laughs> I've actually, I've only, so I've only actually been to, to Home Park with Torch game once this year because as soon as they were doing well, suddenly it was sold out every week, and uh, I watched them lose five nil, I think. So in a in a season when they've done incredibly well, I was there to watch them lose five nil. Uh, but anyway, incredible. <laughs> um, but I think there's almost that similar thing of. Uh, for a lot of, I say young people, but I think that's over overplayed sometimes. I don't think that those kind of millennial socialist movements, I don't think, were all young people. I think they were actually fairly intergenerational. But almost yeah. having something to, having a bit of hope and then seeing that sort of crushed yeah. uh, almost makes it worse in some way. Um, but... But ut utopias are important, right? I mean, the 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 go-to quote is the, the Gramsci quote about uh, being an uh, op optimist. Uh, what is the quote? I'm a pessimist because of intellect, and but an optimist because of will. 
is I think is the quote um, that you know mm. things might be uh, thing you know we might look logically at the world around us and decide that the most logical option is to fall into a sense of pessimism and cynicism and doomerism. However, something has to push us towards. I mean, I this is this is a quote heavy episode because I've I just happened to stumble across a lot of sort of pithy things. But I was also coming <laughs> across uh, uh, Le Guin, I came across Le Guin's quote about um, the yes, Le Guin quote about um, uh, living in capitalism and its power seeming inescapable. Uh, but so did the divine right of kings, uh, and that kind of yeah. sense of you know maybe it does seem all-consuming, but um, yeah, if you lived in the uh, if you lived in France in you know, 1788, oh my god, my dates have gone. Uh, then <laughs> so did so did you know the divine right of kings then, and then a sort of bad winter happened and it all it all crumbled. Um, how, what is it that, you know, I think we, we talked earlier about uh, right. the ways in which your videos sort of avoid some of that cynicism and, and do have a real hopeful tinge to them. I think in, in both f form and content, I think your way of uh, delivering them is also, uh, I, think, I think it's so easy on when you're making videos online to sort of be a kind of shock jock almost and to be behind right. the microphone and uh, i fall into it all the, all the, all the time I'm, I'm not suggesting this is something other people do that i don't but mm -hmm. it's really easy to sort of just throw barbs out at everyone and um it's often easy to sort of be quite cruel in, in some ways towards people that you disagree with and to always be sort of getting attention and everything's a everything's a silly joke and but I always feel like yours, both in form and content, have a sense of um, op optimism and 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 finding where where the hope lies, even in things that are um, hor horrific. I guess. Uh, how 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 do you do that? Where where does that where, where do you think <laughs> that comes from in in your your drive to make those videos slightly different? Hmm. 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 Um. Is this one of those things that it's it's easier for someone external to notice maybe than it is for you on the inside making them? Yes, I, I believe so. I mean, I know in terms of content that I make a, like a concerted effort to... Um, well, I'm, I'm a bit... I wouldn't use that to... Um, I wouldn't say conflict-averse, but I'm not... I avoid be I avoid antagonizing, mm. um, and I adopt a sort of a conversational approach because um, I think I'm trying to connect with people as if I was having a conversation with them, you know, yeah, um, yeah. as if I was just sort of talking to somebody I'd just met um, about an idea or about something I'd learned about. I mean, my tagline um, from the beginning of the, you know, creation of my channel was uh, I'm trying to learn and explore as much as possible. And I think that sort of uh, mindset has informed my approach and the way that I deliver what I'm learning because I'm still learning and I'm still exploring and I'm still um, trying to figure things out. 
but in that um kind of want to bring people along for that mm. and i want people to recognize just as i recognized in this learning and exploring that there are more possibilities outside of what dominates these mainstream narratives um one of the early videos i had done um, that i think also sort of helped to frame the, the context of my channel uh, was a video on the psychology of collapse um and it had addressed the sort of dominant sort of doomerist uh, strand uh, or reaction um, but it also delved into other responses that people have had to collapse you know um the sort of embrace of blissful ignorance, um, denialism, you have apathy, and you have people who sort of preoccupy themselves with busy work and distract themselves. Uh, you have people who delve into this sort of hedonistic uh, take on, oh, um, let Rome burn while I dance kind of thing. Um, you have people who are just overwhelmed um, they have people who fall into this sort of trap of of blind hope because I think um, we are somewhat biologically predisposed towards optimism. Um, but in the video, as I conclude, um, there's sort of two paths that one can adopt. Um, the inner path of, of self-healing, of looking within oneself and developing yourself self-awareness and um, sort of taking this grand scale issue and putting it into a personal context. Uh, and then there's the outer path of, of what I dubbed balanced realism, um, where you sort of reject both pessimism and optimism in a sense. Um, mm. You acknowledge that there are many ways this thing could turn out, but you choose, um, and so you're in balance in that respect, but you choose uh, to focus on how you can influence that outcome. Um, you basically, you agitate for the best, as I said in the video, but you prepare for the worst. Mm. I often... And I think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I th your, your comment about busy work there, I sometimes think to what extent uh, are the, the videos that I... When I'm making videos, to what extent is it having a actually having a useful impact in the world in, in any way, shape or form or in, 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 in to what, or to what extent is it just me sort of busying myself with something that feels vaguely adjacent to uh, some of the problems at hand and therefore can take up all my time without necessarily actually contributing to, I mean, that's a whole different conversation about, uh, yeah, no, but about, about I, to what, what impact does, creating uh, videos or, or, I mean, even writing books, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that, that's uh, something that I grapple with as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm using the the talents that I do have, um, my ability to write, my ability to speak, um, and I'm using that to sort of to attempt to help people um, mm -hmm. via the internet. Um, all of my life experiences uh, education, etc., would have led to me eventually um, being the person I am today that is able to do this. Um, but I, I do grapple with, is this, um, is this the sort of the best use of yeah. that? Is this, should I deviate from, you know, my skills and talents to do something that is more 
um, externally validated as useful, right? Um, I think there's a sort of stereotype of what the a good activist looks like. Um, it's like, oh, if you're not at soup kitchens and if you're not out there planting trees and tying yourself to trees and uh, bombing pipelines and all these different things, are you really doing anything to actually change the circumstances? Um, and I do think there is an element where you have to say, um, my role in this movement for change or whatever is, um, it is not as risky as the people who are, you know, putting their lives in line in that way. Yeah. Um, and it may not be as impressive or as, you know, headline making but does that mean it doesn't still have value hey i hope you're enjoying my chat with andrewism if you are and you'd like to check out further episodes of the show then you might like to know that every single episode of induction is released a full two weeks earlier on my streaming service nebula that essentially means that there's always one more episode available to watch or listen to over on nebula than there is anywhere else Right now, that episode is a chat that I had with Lena Norms about how to survive your 20s in a world that is just a little bit on fire. Nebula is packed with all kinds of early access and exclusive content from all your favourite creators. Philosophy Tube, Lindsay Ellis, Foreign Man in a Foreign Land, and many, many more. In fact, I just released a whole class exclusively over on Nebula in which I take you through the process that I use to research my videos. From finding good sources to reading books and articles to taking really good, useful notes, it's not only a little bit of a behind-the-scenes peek at how I work, it also will leave you with tons of pointers for your own research projects too. If you'd like to check out Nebula, then I would be particularly grateful if you do so using my special personalised link, go.nebula.tv forward slash induction. This will bag you a full 40% off an annual plan, bringing the cost down to just $2.50 a month. Which, for all the brilliant exclusive content on there, is frankly a steal. That link again is go.nebula.tv forward slash induction. But with that out of the way, back to my chat with Andrewism. I mean, I think it does take all sorts of people with all sorts of different uh, skills and interests uh, and um, yeah, ways of doing things to kind of push the world to a better place. I know I went to a... Uh, political meeting not too long ago where the person who was sort of leading the session i mean it, it was one of those where officially the session is led by everyone but there's a facilitator and uh and and and, and you know someone clearly has more of an idea of what the norms of how this works is um and sort of held held the space and i was i was definitely thinking oh okay this person is really good. This person is an organizer, right? In a way that I would not be very good at doing that. Like this, this, you know, this person stood up and is in, engaging ju like in just enough of a way that everyone gets a bit excited to be there and thinks, oh, this was a good use of my time and breaks the ice really well. Um, because that, I think that is a real 
it, it's it's always one thing to say you know start a start a local chapter of your union or start an org or, or whatever it is um but actually that is kind of a a set of skills right that not that not everyone has and it was really interesting i, I was like oh i'm glad that there is that actually there is people out there doing this and i'm and i was recognizing that ah i'm someone who will turn up to stuff and i will make my skills uh useful in whatever way i can but i'm not I, but i couldn't facilitate the room maybe uh or at least there's better at doing it than me you know you're you're trying to create this new society but then in an effort to do so because uh certain abilities were not distributed certain privileges were not uh deconstructed uh you have situations where you have like this new uh overclass of people who began as you know the facilitators and then did not distribute that ability to facilitate and mm. distribute that ability to engage in politics and decision making um evenly um and I, because they just happen to be the most charismatic exactly, person exactly and therefore uh because yeah because i i guess our uh sense of who counts as being charismatic is also yeah very much even something as even something as shallow as how a person looks will definitely determine that you know Mm. um in terms of attractiveness in terms of you know race in terms of ability all those different things would inform that yeah definitely i know that uh, you know despite saying that i'm not a particularly great facilitator and enthuser of people in a sort of circle in a room i do know that yeah if i if I get up as a white able-bodied guy and say, oh, I think we should do like that. There is a sort of socially constructed uh, vision of, of who can legitimately be heard that will mean that I will, that, that my taking of space and power in that room will be seen as a more natural thing. And no, and I think, I think uh, that is absolutely right that, yeah, we have to not always lean to who is seen to be more skilled at certain yeah. things. I would also we, add, we do. Um, on a sort of a lighter note, I think your British accent might also inform how people. <laughs> Absolutely. And in fact, Accents yeah, when, are when really I made, impactful, yeah. Like, when I um, often in, in, in my day-to-day life i will have a more a a bit more of a west country twang when i talk than when i make videos on uh the internet because i know that talking in a certain way does sound more authoritative and i don't think i necessarily think that process through in my head of going oh i shouldn't be like all right guys let's crack on (laughs) but i but i but I, but there's a subconscious process through which I go, oh, I need to be presentable and I need to be professional. And because those things overlap with ideas. I mean, I could, I could talk for a very long time about uh, the politics of accent in the UK, but, mm. but because those things overlap in my head, I do uh, do that as a, and accidentally walk into yeah, putting on my 
best BBC received pronunciation <laughs> uh, to to talk, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, as somebody in my context in Trinidad, um, with my background and everything, the way that I speak um, is definitely informed by you know my background, my education, and everything. Um, there are a variety of accents. Um, informed by a person's ethnic background, informed by a person's location, you know, like uh, a rural East Indian uh, living in the South is going to sound different from uh, an urban uh, capital, uh, someone living in the urban capital. Um, and then the differences between the people living in the urban capital, depending on, you know, what school they went to, uh, there are certain schools that have a very specific accent. Um, and all the, all those things in former people are received, um, the sort of continuum between the so-called acrolect, which is the sort of closest form of the dialect to standard English compared to the basilect, which would be the, what people would call broken English, uh, in some circles, the sort of Creole language, honestly, it's in a language of its own. Mm. Um, and so having grown up in that environment, I find myself shifting across that continuum, you know? So like sometimes I would, um, like if I'm going to a bank or something, I would speak in a particular way. Um, and then when talking with friends, I'll speak a different way. Um, speaking at home, I yeah. would speak a different way. Um, and it's just that sort of you know, accent politics is just interesting to me that it, it occurs all over the place mm. yeah because because in other spaces if you speak with you know well, yeah I, I definitely know that if, if in, in other spaces if i go in i'm like hello thank you i would like a like th then that suddenly is uh mark shot in a different way i guess because suddenly you are other to the sort of accent community i guess for want of a, a better word of of, of of a slightly different different space um, yeah, I mean, even, even as I'm speaking right now, um, I mean, I'm noticing the way that I uh, enunciate certain things that I wouldn't enunciate in casual conversation because when you're speaking for an international audience, you want to be legible, right? You want to be understood. Um, and I know that some aspects of the Trini accent are not as easy to understand. So even how I speak on YouTube and how I speak on podcasts and stuff will be shaped by that. Mm. It's interesting that as soon as... Uh, as soon as we start, and and I think that the the the, com the conversation we've been having has been um, com completely right and useful, but it is really interesting the ways in which as soon as we start to try and talk about visions of the future, we instantly then go back and unpick all the uh, the ways in which different hierarchies might uh, jump out. Yeah. And I think there's a real distinction between, I guess, the kind of conversation where, that we're talking, where, where we're having, where we go, oh, okay, so so these are some other things we want to um, take in, into account in our vision of the future that we're painting, um, and another tendency where often, because someone sets out a potential vision for what the world could look like in the future, and then someone points out a flaw in it, there's often a tendency to then completely shut down the idea that a better world at all is possible ever oh yeah that's I like um <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's something you see a lot on youtube comments and it's also mm. 
it's like that meme um typo detected opinion discarded <laughs> it's like oh i just pointed out a, a mistake uh, therefore i don't have to listen to anything i have to say <laughs> i mean for me for me the kind of cultural encapsulation of it i think is black mirror mm. is the which which I, I i really enjoyed when it first came out and i think is one of those shows that has had a have you have you watched black mirror yes yes not all the episodes where, but um, yeah sort of aware of the basic concept because i think Early on, I think it's also one of those shows that just uh, almost made itself a pastiche of itself just by existing for for, <laughs> for by being really popular, right. and therefore it becomes cliche because it sort of made itself cliche. But uh, but as it went on, it became I think I think it was in Vice maybe that someone described it as being what if phones but too much <laughs> because every episode. I feel that tagline. Imagine if we had this. <laughs> well every episode has this thing of going oh imagine if you had this new app on your phone and then it's good for 20 minutes and then it's bad for 40 minutes <laughs> and but but then generally it widened out because i think the show tries to not just be about technology it tries to be about the ways in which people engage with technology but all the episodes or, or at least the default episode feels like it's what if the world could be better oh no of course it can't haha <laughs> everything is bad forever um, and that sort of feels like that that is the opposite it's something way I've of, noticed in know. media there's a sort of there's been a sort of a shift in a sense and I, I don't know if Black Mirror has had a part to play in it uh, I'd have to like mm. see some media analysis on that but this sort of shift from um, happy endings and good endings mm. and that's sort of and now we're seeing a lot of neutral endings questionable endings bad endings um bad endings and stuff used to be a rarity i I think in some horrors um whereas now i think more and more horrors and i've only recently gotten into the genre so i I could be wrong but i feel like i've seen a sort of a shift from oh and our protagonist making out make it out in the end to Mm. Oh well, that's it. You know, I don't want to spoil any particular properties I've seen recently, but um, I don't know. Is, is that something that you've noticed as well? The sort of shift in there's a there's a rewarding there's a rewarding of cynicism at the yeah. end that actually uh, we were right to think that we were right to be pessimistic because the good guys won, but it turned out the good guys were actually the bad guys. Um, uh, I, I I think like. I think if I don't know why the Hunger Games. I was, was literally out at me. just gonna. <laughs> I was just gonna call out Hunger Games, even though in the end, you know, there's a sort of happy ending. Katniss mm. has to make a decision for that happy ending to take place because just as you think, oh, there's been a victory for the oppressed classes, yeah. it's like, wait, no. New challenger approaches, you know. I don't know why that. I, I guess because the whole because because I guess it is so. The, the storyline has uh, kind of a revolutionary element to it, yeah. I guess. I mean, for me, it, it jumped out immediately because I've rewatched the, uh, all the movies recently. So, <laughs> mm. um, And I mean, it's, it's also something that always comes up. I feel like the, the French Revolution comes up a lot in my videos for, for, for whatever reason. It's always, either, uh, it's always either I bring up a current thing and to understand it, it's either we need to understand uh, neoliberalism <laughs> or, uh, in the 
the kind of neoliberal revolution in the late 70s or we need to understand the french revolution um, uh, i just had a flashback to like five of your videos <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's my current thing of like i'm gonna have to talk about this thing again although in some regards i then go maybe it's okay because it means that i end up learning more about those yeah and then you so also reinforce offer... in people's understanding you know the more they watch the best yeah. they understand so, <laughs> but it is a thing that i notice in my when, I, when i'm like oh no i've done it again <laughs> but uh, but but there's a there's a comment that quite often happens where i'll talk about the french revolution as a sort of major sort of world historical event that that uh, was important in um, solidifying the, the shift towards uh, the world we have today. And someone will comment and say, oh, it seems like you think the French Revolution is good. Well, actually, yeah. very quickly, it, it was bad. <laughs> uh, and and there's, there's obviously a really complex history there. Um, but and I'm sort of I see you've thinking, met synonymous oh. commenter number 763. <laughs> <laughs> Who obviously watch, yeah, watches both our work. But there's this really interesting thing where it's like, well, I, I just, there's so many other aspects of contemporary life that I can't, I don't know, is that too, is that too sort of big event history to suggest that the, 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 the so, but that, that, the French Revolution is so foundational to so many different aspects of our contemporary life that I feel like, well, if you want to throw that out, you're sort of throwing out quite a lot of uh, of of the way in which the world has shifted uh, away from feudalism, uh, and therefore uh, it sort of becomes your 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 throwing out of it entirely becomes a itself a slightly interesting proposition. Yeah, I think a lot of my um, recent exploration of the French Revolution specifically has been through the lens of the subsequent Haitian Revolution because uh, I'm actually reading mm. uh, Black Jacobins right now by C.L.R. James okay. and yeah it's just these historical moments um, and the, the many 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 ways that they shape the way that we understand the world today um, mm. it's just fascinating so that's like a, a brief aside Mm. I mean, I guess to, uh, to to get onto, I suppose, which I think you've touched upon lo loads of times already in the video, but your particular vision of a, a potential future is that the idea that I think you've frequently come back come back to recently on, on your channel is this idea of uh, solar punk. And I was wondering if for anyone that's listening that hasn't uh, hasn't hasn't watched those videos or is maybe as I wasn't before I watched your videos about it, isn't as familiar with this idea um, as a potential positive way of looking at the future whilst taking into account inequality and climate change. Uh, could you explain a little bit about, about what, what solar punk is and what the appeal that you see in it is? Yeah. So um, solar punk is a sort of an online, um, move on that is sort of shifting offline um it is everything from a sort of imagining of our collective futures to actually creating it it started as a sort of parody or deviation from the cyberpunk genre it was like cyberpunk but what if hopeful and green um and trees on buildings and that's what it was for a while um but there's been uh, I think 
a considered shift in the past few years. Um, I would say thanks in part to the explosion of my video on the topic on my channel, in addition to just general, um, general change in the zeitgeist post-pandemic, um, well, quote-unquote post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's been a shift from that sort of aesthetic to an actual engagement with, okay, so how do we make this a real thing? Um, it's not just about what we hope for, um, although it is about what we should hope for rather than just what we should avoid, but it's beyond what we should just hope for, but also about how we do that, how we make that happen, how we build beyond the limitations of capitalism, how we go beyond what is to what if, before, beyond the current rift between humanity and nature. Um, it kind of began and sort of took off in like the early 2000, um, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, and since the publication of, since its, since its inception, really, there have been sort of hints of that, of people wanting to push it beyond. Um, but I think that's starting to pick up more and more as climate change continues to descend upon us and as um, people are just looking for ways to not fall into that sort of doom and apathy. Um, mm. My understanding is it's a kind of uh, localist in the sense of looking locally, not being not localist in the sense of uh, feeling detached from the rest of the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, kind of ecological anarchist kind of crossover. Yes, yes. Um, the emphasis on, on localism in Sulapunk is, is not to sort of dismiss the need for like globe-spanning changes, but it's to recognize that... Uh, for those changes to take place, it is not something that will, I mean, we've, they've had plenty of time and we've seen in action. Um, those changes that we need on a global stage are going to begin on that grassroots local stage. Um, because mm. they've had plenty of time, our rulers and politicians have had plenty of time to make changes. They have plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, and they have not. And so... And I, I think I have noticed a bit of a uh, broader thing in which a lot of... I, I've noticed a lot of people starting to take a lot more of that view of what can I do in my immediate proximity uh, that is uh, political in the sense of that it is engaging with uh, community and it is engaging with but, but engaging with community in a sense of uh, how do we fit into the, the, the wider community of the whole world? How do we live together and um, organize our society? But in ways that start really locally. I mean, I think as I was saying much uh, earlier uh, in, the, in the episode, I was talking about when I saw your uh, video about solarpunk and urban planning, it sort of popped up on my feed somewhere. And it really made sense as a, I was like oh yes of course this is a really having heard you speak about um solar punk in other videos and having seen the rise of uh all of this interest in and, and we've, we've done an episode with Jason from not just bikes we talk a little bit about urban planning and the rise of interest in that um which I think not everyone who engages with that content would necessarily immediately think of it as political or doing politics however 
I don't know. I look at it and go, of course it is. It's about how does your, uh, and maybe more people do than I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of suggesting that no one does, but uh, that, that it's about how, you know, what is prioritized in my local community? Is it people that are driving through in cars or is it people who are, you know, wanting to have a block or a neighborhood that feels like a place rather than just a space that we go through? Um, it's about um, what we're prioritizing in terms of is it cars which are inherently kind of individualist in some way and polluting or is it uh, is it more or is it public transport right uh, which very often serves people who have l lower incomes and are unable to afford to maintain a car which can be quite expensive um, and yeah when I saw that video just I don't know it just really made sense as a crossing over of things and yeah. as a slightly more explicit politicization of it. And I, I know there are more creators. Sorry. Yeah, don't go ahead. Um, I, th I think in effort to be more descriptive for those who haven't seen the video. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> solar Punk, uh, the sort of intersection of Solar Punk and City Planning that I attempted to address um, is, is really one that attempts to see how we... For one, it's to help us understand um, that sort of disparity between what um, social ecologist Murray Bookchin calls first nature, which is the evolved natural, what we call natural world, and second nature, which is the society that humans have created, um, and how we can bring those two uh, natures back into alignment uh, to create a sort of a third nature. Um, I then go on to talk about our the way that city planning has been shaped by uh, corporate concerns and the desire to uh, control workers and control space um, and shifting that into us recognizing our right to the city as a right based in um, full and extent an entire use of the places that surround us this idea that we are that we have no say in our immediate environment is well i wouldn't say unheard of historically it is definitely not the norm in the vastness of you know human history the idea that you cannot shape your immediate neighborhood to suit your needs um patently absurd <laughs> um i think uh, a solar punk approach to city planning would be a bottom-up approach that emphasizes ecological integration uh that would take on a decolonial approach um that would bend to the organic needs of the people themselves and that would be participatory in its planning um i think one particular example that I wanted to bring up um, in this episode um, was the idea of guerrilla bottom-up placemaking, right? As seen in examples like the Better Block movement, uh, which basically began as uh, a group of people were having a discussion about cities around the world and the things that they liked and visiting those places and why couldn't their street look like that? And they stopped and they decided, wait, we can make our cities look like that. And over the course of a weekend, 
they transformed their street. They painted the street. They put out benches. They put out chairs. They put out tables. They blocked off um, car traffic and um, basically broke the rules uh, and the city ordinances that had been in place. Um, but they had a more vibrant, a more live street. They had bike lanes. They had uh, food markets. They had a bear garden. Um, and they created that together as a community. Um, and so... Which, which is really interesting, because... So, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly when this episode will, will go out. Right. But the day, the weekend that we are recording it, or, or the weekend coming that we're recording it, is the coronation in the UK of the new king i'm obviously deeply excited about it. Uh, and um there is uh and actually ex- excitement for it generally i don't think is that high like i just most people don't seem to be that interested however i talked to a few people who are going to uh events so there's uh, a kind of tradition in the uk of street parties at royal events where you do block off a little bit of a, a certain street and you bring out tables and everyone makes food and brings that out to share and or maybe you all eat together. And I think I've spoken to a couple of people that have either went to ones um, as part of the Queen's Jubilee last year or planning to go on go to ones uh, as part of the coronation this year and have said that actually the coronation bit is sort of by the by Mm -hmm. that actually the reason they're going is because there's this fantastic opportunity to be in the street and suddenly a space that you know really well is different and that's kind of exciting because a you're stood in the road or sat in the road b it's decorated differently and c everyone is there and it's also this fantastic opportunity to talk to your neighbors in a slightly different way than you might normally Right. right you're not just talking about when do the bins go out you do suddenly have that opportunity to go to socialize, oh, to actually have a neighborly yeah. interaction with your neighbors. Yeah. Um, I think it's also which, similar what you're describing to how uh, Trinidad sort of, at least the capital and uh, certain towns and stuff transforms over the course of Carnival, right? On Carnival Monday mm-hmm. and Tuesday, um, Carnival being a uh, local celebration, uh, best show on earth, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse my patriotism. <laughs> um, but it's it, there's a transformation of the streets. The streets are overrun by colorful masquerades, it's overrun by on Carnival Monday with the Juve celebration with paint and with mud. Uh, it's like one big street parade slash party. And um, it is such a necessary break from the norm when for a lot of people's lives, mm. it's this constant feeling of atomization is this sort of separation and i mean the things i would critique about it because i feel like it's a sort of like release valve for the stresses of capitalism mm-hmm. and i feel as though um, the yeah and i feel as though the the companies that profit there are certain companies that would profit from for example the heavy use of alcohol and the way that alcoholism shapes our society and da, 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 da. but let's stick to the positives for now um i think <laughs> the idea of that sort of street celebration of people being able to come together and in, in good spirits and in comradeship um camaraderie and stuff is it's, 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 it's beautiful thing to see even within something that in in reality like you say is is maybe 
organized by and and held by the same companies that are making the city a bit of a misery to live in the rest of the time you still find that sense of well not organized by but partially sponsored by but yeah 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 i mean and and kind of um allowed by i guess they they sort of probably give it some boundaries in terms of what can and can't happen but a a risk of giving a a a third example of making it (laughs) a bit a bit laborious um i I, I often think the same about about protest where often the reason that people are at a a protest or a march it's not necessarily to see change it's more so to connect with people who see the same issue well i think that the reason you often go is often for a negative reason right it's Mm. often because something is bad but actually what happens when people get together isn't just that everyone gets together and commiserates (laughs) actually something exciting happens because you are taking up a space in a slightly different way and you are with people that you probably agree on some stuff with and therefore have a sense of a at least a broadly similar direction you'd like the world to go in and you've you've probably done something creative by making a placard and or dressing up and and actually although you are potentially there to protest something you know potentially horrific depending on what it is like maybe it's the uh, the <laughs> maybe it's the fact that the world is burning right you're, <laughs> you're potentially there for a quite horrific terrifying reason and yet within that the fact that there is other people there and you can connect with other people who also think that it is bad that the world is ending uh, means that a sense of yeah yeah catharsis and and kind of optimism i guess can come from that which i mean to to bring bring it back around to where we started where we were talking a little bit about twitter uh, being in the same space as people i think can be energizing in that way because i don't know you do get those human connections in a way that sometimes uh online interaction can't facilitate in quite the same way yeah which maybe is a nice way to nice place to round this off. I'm, I I feel like I feel like I did very well there to brilliantly bring it round. Yeah, fantastic. Sort of pat myself, pat, pat my, round of without, like a well, well, pat myself <laughs> on the back. Well done, me. Um, I think I've undermined it now by pointing it out. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but thank you. But yeah, no. But thank you so much for setting aside some time uh, to chat with me today. Uh, if people want to. If people haven't seen your fantastic videos and would like to go away and find them, uh, how would they go about doing so? Sure. Um, so you could check out um, check out my channel, uh, youtube.com slash andrewism. You could just search in the YouTube search bar for andrewism. Um, and I'm not really on Twitter anymore, so I would usually tell people, oh, go follow me on Twitter. Um, You've managed to kick <laughs> I managed to kick the hat, but I'm not trying to keep it that way. Um, but if you like what I do, um, you could also check out my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash St. Drew. And that's about it. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much again for chatting to me. Uh, and yeah, thank you everyone who is listening and watching for, for, for doing that. Thank you so, so much for listening to my chat with Andrewism and for making it all the way to the end. 
I hope you've got something interesting out of it to go away and think about along the way. As I said during the show, if you'd like to check out the very, very latest episode of Induction right now, then you can do so by heading over to my premium streaming service, Nebula. You can grab 40% off an annual plan whilst helping to support us to make more episodes of the show by heading over to go.nebula.tv forward slash induction. Thanks again for watching and see you in the next episode.